welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. We are in the midst of uh, our series called He Shall Be Called. And so we're walking through these names that are given to the coming Messiah. And these are theophoric names. So they're names that the name of God is embedded into the name that's there. And we we read these names in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so last week, Nick Seibouts took us through Wonderful and counselor. And so counselor that, that God is the one that has all the wisdom and he invites us to, to come and receive that wisdom from him as well. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at mighty God. And so Jesus, the Messiah is mighty God. And the name here that's used where it says mighty God is El Gabor. And so El speaks of uh, the singular form of Elohim that we see in the Old Testament. And so which speaks of the one true God. Anytime you see that Elohim in the Old Testament, it's saying this is the one true God. And so the one true God will be the mighty one here on earth. And in mighty, Gabor, it speaks of one that is all-powerful, that is omnipotent, that has all the power. There's kind of this, this feeling, too, of a, of a superhero. So you, you watch X-Men or these different movies, and you see these superheroes. Well, well the Messiah is the ultimate superhero with all the power, completely unstoppable in what he wants to do. And even though we think that if the Messiah really is God, if God is really God, and we really look at him, we say, well, wouldn't he be all powerful? Like he could do anything. But we have a tendency to underrate God. We have a tendency to uh, make him something that he isn't even though the Bible communicates that he's a champion, that he's powerful, that he can do anything and and he can do anything in our lives. We have a tendency to underrate him and uh, we can make him into one that is uh, preoccupied and distant. Like, yes, he can do all of that. He can, he's mighty for anything, but he's doing other things. And so then we underrate him. And that's what the masses have really always done with God. And, and, and we, we do it today sometimes. Uh, I know when I moved here to Kansas City, it was July 2018. And so uh, Chiefs fans, the Chiefs weren't all that great yet, right? Uh, there was thoughts that maybe they could be great, but I, turned into, I tuned into sports radio right when I got here, and I decided that the Chiefs would be my team. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adopt Kansas City completely. Uh, and so I listened to sports radio, and this was the talk. They said, well... Mahomes, I think he's pretty good, maybe. But, you know, he hasn't played a whole season before, so we'll see. And then they talked about the defense. The defense was just terrible and horrible. And, and, and you know, so walked through this whole thing. And look, look what they did that first year. And then look what they did the second year. They were really underrated in who they were. And so the fact that Jesus is mighty can end up being lost on us because we think that he is one that is mighty for the big things of life, for the massive things of life, right? He's God. But what about the some way insignificant things of my life, the things that I worry about, the things that I struggle with, the things that are happening around me? Does God really care about those or is he really able to do anything about those things? Well, J.B. Phillips in his classic book, Your God is Too Small, 
writes about different misconceptions or erroneous views of who God is. And so this is what he writes about uh, one that he calls the managing director. This is an erroneous view. It, it says, it is to think that the God who is responsible for the terrifying vastness of the universe cannot possibly be interested in the lives of the minute specks of consciousness which exists on this insignificant planet. So the idea from the book is this, is that we hear all this information about God and we experience God as mighty, but then what we do is we take our experience with men and women and then we put that onto God. For instance, if I were to be in charge of 50 people, I could probably show interest and care for and know those 50 people pretty well. But if you put me in charge of 500, I can surely show interest in many of them, but I really couldn't personally know all of them. And then if you expound it out to 5,000 or 10,000 or further, the idea is, is there's no way that this person can be personal with that many. So for instance, the idea, if you've ever thought like, well, how can God hear every prayer that everybody on the face of the earth is praying? I mean, how, how can he dial in? And the reason is we see God as this almost like, uh, you know, this heavenly telephone operator and he's plugging in the different things into the old telephones, how they were, you got to plug it in here to hear this. And how can God do that all at once? And so we underrate him and we think that he isn't able to do the things that we want him to do. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ shows that God is mighty, that God is near, and that he's personal. And not only is he able to do all the things that we would need him to do, he asks us to invite him into our trouble. Invite him into our trouble, even though he's already in the midst of it. So let's listen to one of the uh, interactions that Jesus has with some real life people in the New Testament, right? So we have Isaiah 800 to 1,000 years before Jesus is born, speaking of the mighty one that would come, the mighty God. But let's see now this one that was a baby has now become a man, 30 years or so old. And he's doing life with a bunch of friends. And what does this mighty God do in the midst of people? So let's read in. It's Luke chapter 8, verse 22. And we're going to see how the mighty God goes sailing with his friends. He goes sailing or even rowing. I, I've, I've started the gym. I'm trying to do different things. And started, I started rowing at this gym. There's this rowing machine. And it's, it's pretty tough. It can get tough at times. But these guys were experienced fishermen. They, they knew how to set the sail. They knew how to row in the boat. And it was a, a body of water that they knew but they didn't know fully who it was that they had in the boat with them. So Luke chapter eight, verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Now notice that Jesus is saying, hey, this is what we're gonna do. He's a good leader. He's saying, let's go cross to the other side. And yet it gets kind of off pretty quick from that goal. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. Other versions say like he was at the back of the boat sleeping on a pillow, right? That's somewhat disturbing. It's somewhat disturbing because we think that we want God completely in charge. We think that we want God fully awake, right? 
And yet he was. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake and the boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. So the sea or the Lake of Galilee uh, was, was 13 miles long and, and maybe at most eight miles wide at its widest point. We think that where they were at this point in the lake, it was about five miles wide. And so they just had to go five miles on the lake to get to the other side. And when we see Jesus sleeping, we see the humanity of Jesus. We see that he had a real body. He experienced real fatigue like many of us do. And as this fatigue set in, he said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a little nap as we go across here. But then we also see that he had this deep trust in the Father. He just had a, a completely deep trust in the Father. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you something I struggle with. I have a hard time driving with others. I have a hard time. One, I get car sick a little bit. But also, too, I, like, I want to, I, in, on trips or whatever, I like to be in the driver's seat. And so, so uh, if, if you said, hey, let's go over to such and such place, come with me. I'm like, well, I'll drive. And don't take it personally if we ever do that. But Jesus, the one that is, is God, he's all, all in control, says like, hey, cool, I'll, I'll, I'll ride with you. I'll get in the boat with you. But it's not because he thinks that they're the best sailors or the best rowers, but it's because he knows that his father is caring for him. He knows that his father is with him. And so the Sea of Galilee was known for these fierce storms, that they would just come out of nowhere, that, that all of a sudden everything would be calm and these fierce storms would come in with the wind and the waves and, and people would get into trouble pretty quick. So even though Jesus went to sleep. Now, the next thing we see is, is we see that the kingdom is near as we walk through this passage. In verse 24, it says, the disciples went and woke him up. Good call, right? Let's see what Jesus can do. Shouting, master, master, we're going to drown. So they had made their conclusions. And the, the idea is, is that Jesus, everything that you've been working on, everything that we've been working on is about to fail. Everything's going to pot. Everything's going down. We need to do something. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. So the boat can't go down. Jesus is on the boat. So they can't go down because Jesus is with them. And when Jesus came on the scene, he said, repent, change directions. If you're with any other kingdom, you need to leave that kingdom behind and join the kingdom of God because it's invading in time and space. It's here, it's near. And we see this come about in different ways. We see it right here. The kingdom of God breaks in where things would be as God desires them to be. There's not the fallen world anymore. Everything that went bad when Adam and Eve sinned and you and I followed so quickly, God's kingdom comes in and intervenes. That's what we see here. And it's hard, and I'm not going to do this to us where I say, hey, that always happens because tragedy does happen, doesn't it? Bad things do happen in this life. We are in a fallen world. And so the, the, the kingdom of this world continues on, even though Jesus Christ is invaded by his cross and has defeated death itself by rising from the grave. The kingdom of this world goes on 
And then you have the kingdom of God invading and the kingdom of God will break in, break in, break in. But these two parallel tracks are moving to one place where the kingdom of God overtakes the kingdom of the world. It's what Revelation calls and says that there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more dying. It's where the lion lays down with the lamb. It's where everything is as God intended it to be. That's where this story is going. And we see a preview, like a, like a movie preview of what things are going to be like right here where Jesus says, be still, calm, and the storm and the wind and the waves stop. So we see kingdom break in. It's already here, but not in its fullness. And that's the tension that we live in. Well, the disciples' eyes are wide open at this point. They see that, that Jesus, the mighty God, is personal. And so in verse 25, it says, then he asked them, where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. So Jesus asked this question, where is your faith? Other versions say, say, why do you have so little faith still? But I think the key is, is found here. Where is your faith? Where is it? And Jesus asks as one, not as accusatory, but he asks as one that is worthy to receive your faith. He's saying, I'm one that receives faith and I'm one that you can count in and count on. And so I'm asking you, where is your faith currently? Where have you put it? It's similar to if you go, if you go to a bank and, and, and you want to open a new account or if you go to a salesperson that was with a business and, and, and they're asking you, where is your business now? Where is your money now? Where are you invested yourself now? And so Jesus says, where is your faith? Is it in man? It's not bad to put faith in people up to a point. See, there's a scale of putting faith in people and in building relationship. But the faith Jesus is talking about is ultimate faith. Like who's really in charge here? Who am I really going to trust in? And Jesus is the one that we can put our trust in. Because he gives us faith and he calls us to work it out and grow our faith. So being from the beach in California, uh, we moved out here in, in 2018 and uh, 2018 went cool. We didn't experience one of the things that everybody told us that you guys have out here. But then in 2019, uh, in May, we experienced this interesting thing of a tornado, you know, that, that came near to us. We had heard there were some other ones around different places. So May 28th, 2019, uh, we had this tornado that started in Lawrence and, and went, worked its way. And it was coming right for where we live in Piper. And so the sirens start going off. And at this point, you're like, Cody, I'm bored. We, we do this all the time. And so, but for us, this was our first, first one. You know, this is our first experience. So we get in the basement with our boys and, and my boys are on their phones and just chilling out. And I'm, I'm running things, putting them in front of the one window we have in the basement, running over here. Nope, let's move this around. And they're like, dad, chill out. It's okay. Nothing's going to happen. And then I start to get people calling me, including Norm Rasmussen. He calls me, he goes, yeah, it looks like it's coming, you know, coming kind of that way. And, you know, just, yeah, stay in the basement. You're cool. And then a little bit later, he texts me and says, hey, it's coming right for you. Just stay low. <laughs> and I'm like, what are we talking about here? Because in my mind, this is completely just a dress rehearsal. I mean, like, this isn't really going to happen. 
And as we're watching the news and we're watching this route, we see that it is, it's headed right for us and it's headed towards the speedway and it's, it's coming right towards us in our church building as well. And there was this turning moment though, though, in the midst of it. In that morning, I had read this passage. I had read this passage and it struck me where Jesus says, where is your faith? And I immediately thought of like the church or issues that we were going through and things that we had to walk through and how am I applying this? And, but then right away in that moment, God reminded me, do you remember what you read that morning, this morning? And I said, I do. And then all of a sudden, I just told my family, I said, it's okay. It's gonna lift up. It's gonna go over us. They're like, we've told you it's gonna be okay. You know, but it was, it was going right for us. Now, and again, I want to make, I don't want to make light because that tornado caused real damage. There was real damage in people's lives and it hurt people. And so I'm not saying like, hey, I'm special. But what God spoke to me, we probably needed more grace because, you know, frail people from California out here with this. But it was going to lift up and it was going, that's what it did. It got right up near our area and it lifted up. Went right over us. And God's like, I still calm the winds and the waves and the, and the tornadoes and those things as well. That's what we saw in that time. And so my faith grew in the midst of that. But the calm in the, of the sea and the wind, oh, by the way, I have a, I have a picture uh, that I took right after that. If you can see it real quick, they're going to put it up there. Yeah. So no, no joke. So that's when I walked outside. I'm sitting on this porch swing that we have out there. I'm like, oh man, I need to get capture this moment, you know, because it was, it was, it was interesting. So um, the sudden calm of the sea and the wind brings a new fear for these guys because, and that's what I felt too, was like, hey, who is this? Who is this that calms the wind and the waves? And because they didn't have a proper assessment, they had underrated Jesus as I did that morning. As I did, I took it automatically to kind of these things. What are operations with the church? He's like, no, let me show you what I can do. Let me show you what I can do in lives. So these guys are discovering what Jesus does in everyday life. Psalm 89, eight through nine says this in the Old Testament. Oh Lord, God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. So yes, the Lord is mighty over wind and the waves. And again, though, because we went big, right? You're like, wait a minute, Cody. This is, a tornado is not an everyday thing, thank God. But that's still a big, mighty thing. What about the things that I'm struggling with? What about, what about the things I'm insecure about? Or what, what about the shame that I'm experiencing? Or, or what about my worries about my job or my finances? Or, or, or what about like, uh, I'm, I'm about to ask somebody to marry me and, and, and I don't know what to do. And, and, and all these things that I have going on, or what about my company and the things that I need to do to get things to match in the bottom line and the top line? What about all of these things? And the answer is yes. He is mighty in all of those things. He is mighty in whatever is it keeps you up at night. He is mighty in whatever is going on with you and he cares and he sees and he's right in the midst of it, just like he was in the boat with the disciples. In, in the Old Testament too, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's his business and that's what he does. He also does it in uh, with broken down cars. So a couple weeks ago, we got a phone call. I was on a, a Zoom meeting and my wife came in and said, hey, uh, our son, Wyatt, is, is broken down on the side of the freeway. 
And so he's 17 years old. This is the first time he's broken down in his car. And I'm just like, okay, this is a big deal. We get in our car, we fly down there. And so, and I, I get in the car, I'm like, I, I can fix it, no big deal. And, and it, I turn it and it's just like, and it's like, oh, this is bad. So long story short, the engine, you know, blew, right? Just completely blew out of nowhere. So we're sitting on the side of the road. He was going to work out. So my wife took him to work out. I sat in the car. She came back. We're sitting in the car. Police officer drives up, okay? He's sitting there. We've got two cars on the side of the, right off the off-ramp on the freeway. I get out, and, and so I meet him, and this is amazing. He's actually my neighbor from a, few, from a few doors down, but he's with the Shawnee Police Department. And so we talk, we chat about the neighborhood, and then he takes off. Well, my wife goes to pick up my son, and while they're gone, I'm sitting there in the car, the broken down car, and all of a sudden this car pulls up right behind me. It's, it's, it's freezing cold, it's raining outside. I'm like, what is this person doing? We had called the tow truck. The tow truck was gonna take close to an hour and a half. I'm like, okay, a little long, but we'll wait. So I get out of my car and, and, and this young man gets out of the car. And you could just see the frustration on his face. Well, I say, hey, what's going on? You know, I don't know what's going on with him. And, and he says, well, I ran out of gas. And I'm saying, yes, we got one. God, what are you doing in this young man's life that you had him run out of gas right behind me when a tow truck's coming and he can get help, right? Of all the places he can run out of gas. So I say to him, we're freezing cold. I'm like, hey, so what's going on? And I, at this point, I'm pretty motivated. I'm like, cool, something redemptive in the midst of this. So I asked him, I said, hey, if you could ask God for one thing, just to do one thing for you, what would you ask? And he looks at me like, what are you, crazy? I wanna get home tonight. I said, cool, listen, we got that covered. Tow truck's on the way. But then as we talked more, this was his prayer as he, right before he ran out of gas. You see, he had been, he, 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 had, he was backslidden. He'd walked away from Jesus. He hadn't prayed to him in seven months. He had gotten into drugs. His girlfriend had gotten into drugs. There's children in the mix. She was getting out of rehab the next day. And he didn't know if he could pull it off. He was saying to himself right before he ran out of gas, God, I don't, this is the first time he prayed. He's just been running from God. And finally he says, God, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I can do this. It's all on me. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Bam, runs out of gas. And God says, let me show you how mighty I am. And so as my wife and son drive up, they're driving up and this guy's sitting here in the rain, hands open, just like, I'm like, I'm gonna pray for you right now. And so we're praying, we're praying the addiction off of him. He's given his life back to Jesus. He rededicated his life back to Jesus. The kid is weeping, just like heavy tears, crocodile tears, just like, he's like, yes, God, I'm back. And he's just, you know, and my, my son and wife drive up and he's like, oh, dad's praying for somebody, you know, and, and it's okay. And then so, I run back to the car, I'm like, this is amazing what's happening in this kid's life. And so, so he rededicates his life to Jesus. And you know, it took two more hours, like in the midst of it, I'm putting gas in his tank, we got him a tank of gas, and, and I kind of wasn't as motivated anymore, like, great, God, you did your business, can we get there? But he's all fired up, he's like, man, this is great. I feel a load off, I can do it, I, I'm with it, God's gonna do this thing, it was amazing. But wait, there's more. We, our car blew up, so we have to buy a car. So then I go to a, a car dealer. And at the car dealer, we're talking with the guy we're driving, and he says, so what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor, okay. He goes, I had a friend that was a pastor. He gave me a Bible, like years and years and years older. He didn't end up being a pastor, but he studied and gave me a Bible. I said, okay, well, and he goes, as you can tell, I don't read it. 
And I said, well, I said, and so I, I talked to him about some different scriptures that would be relevant to him and what he does for business and those things. And we got talking more about Jesus. And then as we sat there at his desk, I talked about, about you know, Jesus calling people like Peter as a fisherman. He went to his workplace and called him into the kingdom of God. And then P Peter led thousands upon thousands of people to Jesus. And then he showed himself mighty in his life. And I said, like, like, what if Jesus walked in here right now? And he goes, dude, I would lose it if Jesus walked in here right now. And I said, well, let me tell you something. He did. He walked in through one of his followers. And so the guy's like, oh. Because he had this underrated view of what God could do in people's lives. And he's like, oh, wow, God's here. He texts me at like 1030 at night, that night. And he says, hey, it's me. Do you remember? I'm like, yeah. He sends me pictures of this nice leather Bible with his name on it. And he's like, I'm reading it. I'm reading what you showed me. And he says, I got saved years earlier. And guess what? Like, I'm reading now. I talked to him a couple days ago, texted again. And he goes, I'm reading it. It's awesome. I'm enjoying it. It's great. He gave his life back to Jesus. And all that it cost me was a car. Isn't that amazing? You see, what God does is he, he, he comes into our everyday life. He comes into a lake with a boat, with a person rowing or sailing on a lake. And in the midst of a storm, he baptizes that moment. And he says, where is your faith? Let me show you how mighty I am. And then he goes into a car broken down the side of the road. Because guess what? And there's nothing special about us. All we did was God just brought people. And that's what he's doing in life. And your situation is no smaller. But this kid driving his car invited God in. He said, God, how am I gonna do this? I have no idea. And God says, let me show you. So what can you and I do? Well, number one, we need to realize that this is good news, that Jesus reveals that God is mighty, near, and personal. And our job in that mix is, is to invite him in, invite him into it. Like, what, what do you have going on now? What, what are you struggling with? What are you, what's keeping you up at night? What, what are you thinking about? What are you, uh, what's bothering you? Where is your fear? Where, where are those things? And God just says, invite me in. Invite me in and I'll come in. So how can you take this home? Well, one is, is wrestle with the question of Jesus. Where is your faith? Because don't just say, yeah, yeah, my faith is strong in Jesus. Really evaluate, really uh, take, take, uh, take count of, of where your faith is now. What have you been thinking about? Are you putting your trust in man? Are you putting your trust in, in a person? Or are you putting your ultimate faith in Jesus? Evaluate where your faith is. And then wrestle with the question of the disciples, who is this man? They were with him face to face. And here we are, we're looking in. Who is this man, Jesus? And consider that the point that he was most mighty was what we celebrated tonight. He was most mighty at the point that he was his most vulnerable. Because the point he was most mighty is when he laid down his life for you and I. That nothing would be between God and you and I. That we all would become one. And that God would not only be living in places like this where we come, but he would actually take up residence inside of you. That he would be that close that the Holy Spirit would come and live inside of you. That's where he was the most mighty, is where he overcame, he overcame sin. He paid for sin. He overcame every power and principality. There's not one strength or power on earth that Jesus did not overcome on the cross. And then he even overcame death by resurrecting from the dead. 
That's where he was the most mighty was on the cross. And you didn't know it until he rose from the grave. You didn't know it till he rose from the grave. Everybody thought, well, maybe he wasn't. But he was most mighty when he was most vulnerable. And so what if, what if we, Vineyard Church, all the Vineyard Church in Kansas City, invited him into our city, invited him into our schools, invited him into our workplaces, invited him into our our neighborhoods, invited him more into our church, invited him into our homes. Because you guys, the city will never be reached or changed if it's just in this locale. You see, God uses what he pours into us in the church. The church has always been the locker room, the gathering of the church. This is the locker room. And then out there is where it happens because he pours into you in here, but then it's got to flow out. It's got to hit the street. And that's how he shows himself mighty. So there is a way to do this. And it's that we have to approach God with bigger containers per se out there, at my workplace, at my home, in my neighborhood, um, uh, at the schools, at the athletic fields, uh, out in a restaurant, um, driving down the road, wherever it is, we have to approach God with bigger containers. What I mean is, is that, you know, sometimes we approach God with like a, like a thimble. Those that you sow, right? You have the little thimble you sow with. And, and it's kind of like we approach God with that. God, maybe you can fill this. Maybe you're mighty enough to do this. Maybe this thing. And what we need to do is we need to approach God with like big, big barrels, like big things, or even a dump truck. Like have great expectation, great expectation that Jesus is the mighty God. Great expectation that the one that overcame sin and death itself can invade Kansas City and change this place and address all of the things that are jacked up around us. What if we invited him in? What if we said, God, come and do your thing in this place, in this city? We're gonna have the worship team come back up and let's seal this. Let, let, let's pray. And, and while we're praying, as you take a posture of prayer right now, I, I just want you to bring that thing. Uh, you know, maybe you've been lying to yourself that God doesn't care about this little thing because it doesn't seem to be in his bandwidth. And so bring that thing to him right now. Just take a minute and pray just a few seconds and, and just say, God, would you come into blank? I invite you into this thing in my life. I invite you into what's going on here. Take a minute and invite him in. Yes, Lord, we love you. We worship you. We honor you. We bless you. The mighty God. God, forgive us for the times that we underrate you. Forgive us for the times that we put our faith in something or someone else other than you. We see that you're capable, that we see that you're near. God, we pray for more moments in our city where you answer people's just crying out prayers like the disciples in the boat, just quickly and you come in and you calm. 
or like this young man's prayer along the side of the road or this salesperson's prayer to know you more. God, we ask that you'd use us, God. We ask that you'd give us more responsibility in your kingdom, that your kingdom would come in us and your kingdom would come in our city, God, that you'd pour out your spirit upon Kansas City, God. You'd pour out your spirit upon our hearts and our homes, God. We trust in you alone to bring life and hope to our country. We need you, God. We bring our hearts and our lives back to you. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com.